All right, folks, let me catch you up to speed here. Previously on Just Another Fanboy, episode number 210, I had gotten together over the weekend with Frank A. Rincon and Bill McGonnell from the Half Hour Wasted podcast to talk about Monty Python. All three of us are huge fans. And as this past Tuesday, October 5th, was the 52nd anniversary of Monty Python's Flying Circus, I thought it was perfect to sit down and talk about it. But about an hour into our Skype call, my Skype just failed on me. And so we were at a moment within the episode in which we had just started counting down our top five favorite Monty Python sketches of all time. Bill had chosen the cheese shop for his number five, and Frank had chosen Confuse a Cat for his number five. He was telling a story about how just being random isn't always funny, and suddenly that's when Skype failed on us. So when I put the episode together, I made a little joke out of it, as if the guy editing the episode dropped an avocado into the editing bay, and then we ended the episode there with a to-be-continued, and now we're starting it back up today, part two of another Monty Python episode, and we just take up right where we left off when the episode exploded on Tuesday. Here you go. Have fun. Talk to you later. It was partway. Frank was talking about the taco, and then I got this little box that said, we're sorry, something went wrong. Please reload Skype. I apologize for that, guys. No, uh, that was it was on my end. Okay. Frank! <laughs> Uh, so the uh, uh, the punchline to that was that the the CEO, well not CEO, but the executive said because it's random. Because it's and, random. Uh, and and you know it that did not have a, a with confused a cat. It has a story uh, involved in the randomness to where the CEO just thought random was funny. And uh, my response, that, that, my response to Frank was that that man's name was Lorne Michaels. <laughs> yeah, random doesn't just automatically make funny. Exactly. Uh, there has to be a method to it. And I think one of the best things about that sketch is after they do all the weird stuff, I mean, there's a purpose to it. They're not just doing it to be weird. They're trying to confuse the cat. They're yes. trying to shake it out of its melancholy. <laughs> and the cat just sits there in the yard, calmly watching all the weird stuff that's going on. And then when they're done, John Cleese's character is like, hope to God it works. And then sudden, and then finally the cat just kind of walks away like, all right, I've been because he's been sitting there the whole time, even beforehand. Right. And the goal was to shake him up enough that he goes back to his life and he does. And you're just like, yay. And it's just <laughs> it's so good. That was the problem. The, the, the poor cat was was clearly in a deep malaise, uh, clearly. Um, suffering a, a, a deep and profound uh, case of ennui. Yes. And, um, Moping. Ooh. Yeah. So when when John Cleese gets the troops out in front of the truck and he uh, he slaps his riding crop up against his shoulder and says, "Gentlemen, confuse the cat." Yes. And then so serious. They're so serious. About yes. Such a silly thing. That's why your cat that, needs to be uh, confused. That skit this, also this, also ends with um with other services that confuse a cat uh, yes. provides. Amazable, yes. Stunt Stout, 
Puzzle a Puma, Startle a Thompson's Gazelle, <laughs> Bewilder Beast Incorporated, and Distract a Bee. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> That's good stuff. All right. Um, my number five is a sketch called Come Back to My Place. <laughs> this is a, a very, very short sketch, and it's on film. John Cleese plays a policeman, and Michael Palin runs up to him to tell him that someone has, has stolen his wallet and keys from a park bench. John Cleese tells him, asks him, well, did you, did you see who might have done it? And you know, I didn't, I didn't see anything. Well, there's not much we can do about that. And then they stand there for a moment, and finally Michael Palin just looks at him and goes, would you like to come back to my place? And John Cleese just says, yeah, all right. Inspector, Inspector. Yes, sir. I was sitting on a park bench just now, and I put my coat down. And when I picked it up again, I found my wallet had gone, and 15 pounds had been stolen. Did you see any uh, anyone? No, no one at all. Well, there's very little we can do about that, sir. Do you want to come back to my place? And then they go off and I just there's just <laughs> something about that that I love so much. The the brevity and the uh the punchline of it that comes out of nowhere is just brilliant. And there's there's a slight moment when he asks him, Would you like to come back to my place? And John kinda you can see him kind of think about it for a moment. Yeah, all right. And then they then they walk <laughs> It's such a simple little thing and it's it's one that, that makes me laugh every time. Bill your number four. Well, obviously, the uh, uh, because I'm quite uh, uh, quite in touch with uh, today's politics. Uh, my number four sketch is the North Minehead by-elections. <laughs> Here at Luton, it's a three-cornered fight between Alan Jones, sensible party in the middle, Tarquin, Fim, Tim, Lim, Bim, Wim, Bim, Lim, Bus Stop, Fatang, Fatang, Ole, Biscuit Barrel, Silly Party, and Kevin Phillips, Bong, the slightly silly candidate. <laughs> Alan Jones. On the left, sensible party. 9,112. Yeah! Kevin Phillips Bong. On the right, slightly silly. Nought. <laughs> Tarquin, Fim, Tim, Lim, Bim, Wim, Bim, Limba, Stop, Fatang, Fatang, Ole, Biscuit Barrel. Silly. 12,441. Yeah! And so the silly party has taken Luton. I don't know. You, you can't do that sketch these days, though. So let's just gloss over it before this is picked up by CNN and run with it. That's well, kind this of is, a list that you don't want. This is the one with the 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 silly party and the not so silly party <laughs> and uh, the slightly silly party. There's like a very silly party where the guy yeah. has this long string of noises <laughs> for his name. Is that the one we're talking about? That's exactly right. Yes. And that's uh, one of my favorite moments of Monty, Michael Palin standing there in the, in the clown suit, kind of listing to one side. Yes. <laughs> yes. A, yes. Uh, a, a fairly beatific look on his face. Uh, it just speaks to me. Kevin Phillips bong. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And then and then you have the one guy that every once in a while will show up on camera and say, can I just say that this is the first time? I've ever been on television. No, no I'm sorry. There isn't enough time. Moving on. Yeah, that's a good one. That is another one that that was the first uh, first I had come across that was in audio. 
And it was, I think it was on that final ripoff and it was actually from one of their live performances. So it probably came off the, uh, live at city center. I think that was a, a, an album that they put out at one point. Bill is frozen. I don't know if we've lost him as well. Uh, he's moving to me. Mm. Just on my end. And I can only see one name. He had two names on there. Bill, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. And darn glad to be it. Bill, your your description of Michael Palin uh, listing (laughs) is, for me, one one of the great visual gags because he, I believe his mouth is open and he's just (laughs) not saying anything. He's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. All right, Frank, you're number four. The Flush. Sorry. The fish slapping dance. Oh, uh, short to the point. Very silly. So I'll say real quick, if any one of us during our list chooses one that's on somebody else's list, we have to go ahead and say that. And then, of course, we'll skip it when we come to that. But that was my number one. Oh, what? <laughs> the fish slapping dance is the greatest thing ever put to film, if only for the fact <laughs> that they had to gather a crew together, get on a truck, take the equipment to this location, put on costumes just to slap each other in the face with, with fishes that just the idea behind putting it together, the production of this sketch just adds a bit to the complete silliness of Michael Palin in an explorer. You know, they're both in explorers outfits, Michael Palin and, John Cleese and their little shorts and their pith helmets and but Michael Palin with those tiny little fish and his little dance and slapping John Cleese in the face with them. And it's yeah, good Lord. It's it's less than a minute. It's it might even be 30 seconds or, or more. And it's it's genius. And and you get the punchline of the big fish and yes. the knock in the water, which uh, which I think really tops it because the little slappy fishes, I I think I remember when I first saw this, I thought it was just going to be the little slappy fishes and then they were going to stop and bow. I thought yes. that's how it was going to end. Yes. Uh, and then uh, um, uh, the giant fish coming out is just such a silly topper. <laughs> well, there, there's a guy um, in, in the if you've seen the, the documentary, Almost the Truth, one of the episodes uh, as they're talking about the show they talk to a lot of other celebrities about Monty Python and they talk about their favorite sketches. And, and a lot of them, of course, are, are British comedians. And there's this guy, I, I don't recognize him. Uh, I, I'm not sure who he is, but he's talking about the fish lapping dance and how his parents have never enjoyed Monty Python, but his mother loves the fish lapping dance. And he thinks that this is a sketch that crosses all racial, <laughs> political, religion, you know, all these lines. And, and that's how uh, you can bring peace to the to the world is just drop uh, little little TV screens with this sketch locate, you know, loaded on them into war torn areas and let everybody watch the fish slapping dance. And then every everything will be fine again. And. It's it, it is. It's, I think I think my my thought is it's the perfect sketch. You know, you, you could argue that it is the uh, predecessor to the animated gift because it is such a short little thing and brings joy. And yes, and we do that now with with uh, with little videos uh, like that. It's yeah, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant skit. 
And there's there's I, if I remember correctly, there's almost a lead up to it. Uh, Terry Gilliam's animation with a guy who is trying to make some sort of announcement and his his uh, his mouth keeps flying away and he's chasing his <laughs> mouth around. And finally, he nails his mouth to his face and holds up a little sign that says, and now for the fish lapping dance. And then we get that. And then it's like, oh, you, it, you're almost like, oh, this should be pretty. You know, what are we leading up to here? And and it's and it's that. And you just it just it's so funny. It's it's perfect. So my number four is the mouse problem. Well, uh, it's not a question of wanting to be a mouse. It just sort of happens to you. Uh, all of a sudden you realize that's what you want to be. And when did you first notice these, should we say, tendencies? Well, I was about 17, and uh, some mates and me went to a party. And, uh, well, we had quite a lot to drink, and then some of the fellas there started handing cheese around. (laughs) Well, just out of curiosity, I tried a bit, and... Well, that was that. Do you guys remember this one? No, that doesn't ring a bell. This was like a hard-hitting news magazine piece. Basically, it was like talking about the drug problem in the city, but it was about young men getting together and dressing up like mice. (laughs) And John Cleese plays a guy who is is an an anonymous, one of these dirty little perverts, I think as they call him. And uh, he is describing what a night... Uh, you know, a typical evening is when you're dressing up as mouse, uh, as mice. And he talks about going to these parties and putting the mouse skins on and somebody starts passing around cheese. And then <laughs> <clears throat> there's this one moment that he delivers it so perfectly and it's so dramatic. And he's talking about how and then at some point someone starts squeaking. And just the way he <laughs> says it is so funny. Yes. And what else did these fellows do? Well, uh, some of them started dressing up as mice a bit. Um, <laughs> and then when they got the costumes on, they started squeaking. And then they, they have footage from one of these parties. Terry Jones comes in dressed as what the butcher's wife, and she, she chases the mice up the, up the clock or something like that. It's, oh, it's, it's really funny. It's a really funny sketch. And again, one of those that has played... Very serious. It's it's uh you know the 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 acting. None of that is is silly. It's 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 a silly topic that's handled incredibly serious. And that's why it's my number four. Awesome. Number four. Bill. Number three. My number three is the. Uh, uh, I'm not actually sure what the title of it is, so my apologies to to those who are pedantic out there. But uh, the abattoir sketch, where. Uh, John Cleese comes in and tries to sell uh, uh, tries to sell a couple of uh, uh, construction uh, building people on his uh, new set of flats, which involves uh, um, beautiful moving sidewalks, uh, going down hallways, uh, showing uh, art projects, and it uh, delivers uh, the people that are on the moving sidewalk into the rotating knives. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, this is a 12-story block combining classical neo-Georgian features with all the advantages of modern design. 
the tenants arrive in the entrance hall here, are carried along the corridor on a conveyor belt in extreme comfort and pass murals depicting Mediterranean scenes towards the <laughs> rotating knives. The last 20 feet of the corridor are heavily soundproof. The blood pours down these chutes. Into these large Excuse me. Hmm? Uh, did you say knives? Uh, rotating knives, yes. Are you uh, proposing to slaughter our tenants? Does that not fit in with your plans? No, no, we, we wanted a simple block of flats. Ah, I see. I hadn't uh, correctly divined your attitude towards your tenants. <laughs> Which ends up shocking the, uh, the people building the apartment because... Uh, they um, uh, they they wanted a, a block of flats, not an abattoir. At which point, uh, Michael, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, John Cleese says, "Well, I I clearly haven't uh, divined uh, your attitude towards your your guests." Yes, that's the, the it's called the architect sketch. The, archi- the architect sketch. The architect sketch. <laughs> yes, yes, they have all the Gumbies out there. The Yay. architect sketch. The architect sketch. <laughs> And then, of course, when they don't approve his design, he does what? Well, he calls them all uh, uh, crybabies, doesn't he, and walks out. Well, may I ask you to reconsider? I mean, you wouldn't regret it. Think of the tourist trade. <laughs> no, it's, it's just that we wanted a block of flats and not an abattoir. <laughs> yes, but of course, that's just the sort of blinkered Philistine pig ignorance I've come to expect. <laughs> you creative garbage. You sit there on your loathsome spotty behind, squeezing blackheads, not caring a tinker's cuss about the struggling artist. You excrement! You lousy hypocritical whining toadies with your lousy colour TV sets and your Tony Jackson golf clubs and your bleeding Masonic handshakes. You wouldn't let me join with you, you black balling bastards. Well, I wouldn't become a Freemason now if you went down on your and then they bring in the second guy who shows them his his, uh, his block of flats all uh, mounted on a uh, central core and um, let's just say it, the model doesn't go well but they're okay with it because yeah. it does rotating knives they're, they're okay with it because it's cheap and as long as their tenants uh, are light in weight and relatively and don't move yeah, don't move about a lot. They they should be they should be fine. But then John Cleese, after berating these guys, that's when we find out he actually they're masons and he wants to be a mason as well. And, and so he's like, seriously, if you can put in a good word with me for me, I'd love to be a mason. Yeah. He's calling them black ball. You wouldn't let me join, would you? You black balling bastards. <laughs> and nobody nobody screams at a person like John Cleese does. <laughs> So I love it. Um, honestly, uh, uh, favorite Monty Python episodes is kind of uh, almost literally shooting fish in a barrel only without so many fish. And I don't know, if, is that the sketch that leads into how to spot a mason? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Probably is. And uh, again, I would have to go back and revisit to uh, be clear on that. So at this point, I'm just going to bow up, pretend I'm right and uh, challenge anybody to fight me if they uh, don't believe, if they don't share my belief system. So there we go. And so, and yeah, the, the sketch opens with all the Gumbies down on the sidewalk and they're announcing the sketch and they're going, the architect sketch. And the, <laughs> the camera doesn't move and they start pointing up, up there, the architect <laughs> sketch. And then as the, as we get, we go into the office and the sketch starts, you can still hear the Gumbies out on the street. Up there! <laughs> and Graham Chapman pours a bucket of water out the window 
<laughs> and we we'll see the gumbies down on the sidewalk soaked, and they're all like, ooh. <laughs> the gumbies were something that took me a while. I'd never really quite understood what a gumby was supposed to represent. Uh, yeah, me, I, me neither. It's the I, I I believe they're just basically the the gumbies the way I understand it. And Bill, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you know. The way I understand it, the Gumbies are kind of like the working class. They're all they would be like the working class of Britain, the uh, the not intelligent. I, I don't know. Um, that's the way I kind of understood it. Uh, you know, I uh, uh, which is weird, uh, but I have always been mildly unclear on exactly what the Gumbies uh, meant. Um, now, uh they got their name from uh, Wellington Boots, uh, commonly known as Gum Boots, by the way. Uh, yes. So that's that's where they got the uh, the, the name Gumbies. Um, uh, and yeah, exactly where they came from is a great question. Uh, I assume this is one of those things where if we lived in Britain, uh, we would uh, we would just get it because right. But um, but yeah, I. I I was always fascinated by the Gumbies because there's really there's really no American analog, uh, at least not until uh, pro wrestling um, became popular in America. So, yeah, I'm looking at the Monty Python wiki in which they talk about the Gumbies and they don't really give you any information on on what if that is a uh, like a like cultural a, reference. Yes. Or, yeah, or, agreed. Yeah. So it makes you it makes you ask the question, what's the Internet good for? <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I uh, uh, I used to in college I used to wear bandanas in that Gumby style. Uh, yeah. I had learned how to tie it, and uh, it's actually a really nice way to keep your hair out of your face. My hair was long <laughs> in college, and uh, during the summers I would wear it like that because it's loose enough you could put your hair up in it, and uh, and you don't look terribly ridiculous, only slightly ridiculous. All right, um, Frank, your number three. So I chose something from a movie. Are we considering those or the TV show? That's fine. We never, uh, we never, uh, we never clarified. Uh, so in uh, the meaning of life, there's a skit called uh, "Goodbye Gifts on the Battlefield." It takes place in uh, <laughs> in World War One. Uh, oh, sir, sir, if, if we if we don't meet again, sir, I'd just like to say it's been a uh, it's been a real privilege fighting alongside you, sir. Yes, well, yes. it's a time, all place for goodbye speech, eh? No, no, me and the lesser realize that, sir, but, well, we may never meet again, sir, so... Yes, I, all, all right, Blackett, thanks. No, just a moment, sir. See, me and the lens, we've had a little whip around, sir. We bought you something, sir. We bought you this, sir. Oh, well, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's a lovely thought. Thank you. Thank you all. Right, but, but I think we better get to the cover now. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we got something else for you as well, sir. Uh, uh, sorry, it's another clock, sir. It was a bit of a mix-up. Uh, Walt just thought he was buying a present, and Spadger and I had already got the other one. Well, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I think we'd better get the cover now, oh, sir, and I'll oh, thank you probably later on. Corporal Sturridge got this for you as well, sir. He didn't know about the others, sir. It's Swiss. Oh, well, now that is thoughtful stuff. It's good, man. And there's a card, sir, from all of us. Sorry about the blood, sir. And uh, the guys are about to leap out of a trench 
to go uh, 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 to go to probably their death. But right before it, Eric Idle kind of goes, wait, before we did do that, we'd like to to, to present you with a gift. And uh, there's all the pythons are there and they present their captain with a, a very ornate clock, which would be uh, very difficult to uh, <laughs> to have in the trenches. But he says, thank you. And then Eric Idle goes, well, there was a bit of miscommunication because they also got you a gift. And two of the pythons lift up a grandfather clock, which, again, is in the <laughs> trenches. And then uh, 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 Michael Pilot's, Pilot's just like, OK, OK, well, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And then they go, well, we uh, uh, Gerald also got you this, which is a watch. And so now they have three time pieces on the battlefield. The captain is just a little befuddled, but says, well, thank you. Now let's go. And then uh, Eric Idle goes, well, I also made you a cake, <laughs> which uh, now at this point, it's just uh, everyone's feelings are hurt because the captain wants to go over and, and do the battle. But Eric Idle is just like talking about how hard everyone worked to get him a cake and stuff. Let's and, not uh, even give him the cake. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they, they just start to become very, their feelings are hurt and stuff. And it's just a brilliant, just, just uh, you know, two minutes of just like misunderstanding. What I like about it is that there, that is the type of conversation that would happen in an office birthday yes. party, which I'm sure is yes. what they meant to do. But it's but happening the whole... during the horrors of war. Exactly. <laughs> Look at him. He worked on that cake like no one else I've ever known. Sometimes it was so cold we could hardly move, but black would be out there slicing the lemons, mixing the sugar and the almonds. I mean, you try trying to get butter to melt at 15 degrees below zero. So for, for that, you can find it on, on the YouTubes. It, it, it's officially titled Goodbye Gifts on the Battlefield. I recommend that. The line I remember from that is is after they all they all realize that they feel like he's not giving it you know, he's been given these these gifts and he's not giving it the uh, the the thanks maybe that they feel because he's like, we're we're in the middle of a war. We're getting ready to do this battle. And this is great. But come on, we got. And, and so at one point when they're complaining about the cake and Eric, I was like, you try getting butter to melt at 15 degrees. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a line from it. That is yeah. brilliant. From Eric, Eric Idle's delivery of that line yeah. is brilliant. Uh, that's, I, that's that is probably one of my least favorite of the Python movies, but that skit really stands out to me. That's what I think. That's what is one of the 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 great the great things about the meaning of life because I think for most Monty Python fans, it is the least favorite of the movies. But some of their greatest sketches come out of that film. That's mm-hmm. one of them. The uh, the deal with the, the the two guys that are dressed as a tiger. Well, why are they? It doesn't matter how they got my leg. Why are they dressed as a tiger? <laughs> uh, don't shoot. Don't shoot. We're not a tiger. Uh, we were just. Um, why are you dressed as a tiger? Hmm? Oh, why? 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 Oh, it's been a lovely day today. Answer the question. Oh, we were just... Well, uh, um, actually, we're, we're dressed like this because... Oh, no, that's not it. Oh, we did it for a lark, part of a spree, high spirits, you know, simple as that. Nothing more to it. <laughs> well, actually, we're on a mission for British intelligence. There's a pro-Zarist, a shanty chief. No, 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 no. No, 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 no,
forget about the Russians. Uh, we're doing an advert for Tiger Brand Coffee. Tiger Brand Coffee is a real treat. Even tigers prefer a cup of it to real meat. Now look. All right, all right. We are dressed as a tiger because he had an auntie who did it in 1839, and this is our 50th anniversary. No, we're doing it for a bet. God told us to do it. To tell the truth, we are completely mad. Oh. We're inmates of a Bengali psychiatric institution, and we escaped by making this skin out of old used cereal packets. It doesn't matter. What? It doesn't matter why they're dressed as a tiger. Have they got my leg? They're trying to... No, 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 we're not dressed as a tiger, and... And then the uh, the scene where Michael Palin is trying to get everybody to march up and down the square. But one guy, <laughs> has, he wants to go practice the piano and the other guy wants to go read a book. And just some some great sketches come out of that film. They just weren't able to bring them together in such a way to 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 make the film even as good as any of the previous ones. When I when I was researching for favorite skits, uh, that skit about the tigers and the and the uh, the leg did come up. And while I wouldn't say that's my favorite skit, it has a line that I've always loved, which is, uh, well, they're dressed up as tigers. One of them says, uh, "We're doing a commercial for Tiger Brand Coffee," and the other one goes, "Oh yes, uh, Tiger Brand Coffee is a real treat." Even tigers prefer it to a cup of real meat. <laughs> That's an honorable mention for sure. All right. My uh, my number three is rival documentaries. Uh, this is um, this starts out with John Cleese standing in a field and he's doing a documentary. He's a he's a he's the the guy in front of the camera and he's talking about the um, the, the the trees and hills that are Sir Walter Scott's country. And then Michael Palin comes up and he kind of taps him on the shoulder and he he whispers something to him and John hands him the microphone and Michael Palin's like, oh, thank you. And then he walks off and then the camera follows him and then he starts his own documentary and about the the like the the uh, the wood cutting industry or something like that. And then John Cleese comes in back into the shot and he tries to take the microphone back. And at that point, Michael Palin won't give it to him. He's like, no. And then they start fighting and one of them tackles the other one and they're wrestling around and they're grabbing them. Each time one of them gets the microphone, they start up their documentary real quick. <laughs> they're chasing each other around in the field. And it's it's a really fun one. In commercial terms, a coniferous cornucopia, an evergreen El Dorado, a tree-lined treasure trove. No. A fat fur cone future for the financiers. But what are the costs? Go away in human terms. Who are the casualties? For this was Sir Walter Scott's country. In many of his finest romances, such as Guy Mannering or Red Gaunt. No, Scott showed himself to be not only a fun. The spruces and firs of this forest were used to create a. Also a writer of humour and. Uh, that one does that one does not bop into my head uh i don't remember that one there, there there's even a moment where they're each in their own cars racing down a highway s- grabbing the microphone from each other <laughs> trying to trying to do their own documentaries and then uh, a couple other people get involved and it's 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 yeah it's a really good one if you if, if you ever want to look it up rival, rival documentaries got it that's what happens when you're on when you're on a flatbed and you don't have doors you can lock right and of course whenever they do one of those scenes because there's a couple of sketches where they're racing down the road in their their cars you can see that they're actually going about four miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah 
All right, Bill, you're number two. My number two is the uh, the very popular, uh, very, uh, very bougie uh, fresh fruit skit, because that was probably one of the first skits I that um, uh, that's one of the first skits I remember um, uh, really striking a, a nerve with me. Right now, self-defense. Tonight, I should be carrying on from where I got to last week. What I was showing you how to defend yourself against anyone who attacks you armed with a piece of fresh fruit. <laughs> you promised you wouldn't do fruit this week. What do you mean? Well, we've done fresh fruit for the last nine weeks. What's wrong with fruit? You think you know it already? Well, can't we do something else for a change? Like someone who attacks you with a pointed stick. Pointed sticks? <laughs> oh, 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 we want to learn how to defend ourselves against pointed sticks, do we? Getting all iron mighty, eh? Fresh fruit not good enough for you, eh? Oh, 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 oh. Well, I'll tell you something, my lad. <laughs> when you're all walking home tonight and some other side of maniac comes after you, when a bunch of Logan Breeze don't come crying to me. <laughs> right, the passion fruit. When your assailant lunges at you with the passion fruit, thus... We've, we've done, done a passion, passion fruit. fruit. What? We've done a passion fruit. We've done oranges, apples, grapefruits. Oh, and segments. Pomegranates, green gauges. Grapes, passion fruits. Lemons. Plums. Yeah, and mangoes in syrup. How about cherries? We've done that. Red and black? Yes. <laughs> All right, then. Bananas. Oh. We haven't done them, have we? Oh. Right. Uh, again, the, the sheer joy of absurdity in uh, defending yourself uh, against uh, an intruder or an attacker with fresh fruits. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. Now, as, as Eric Idle keeps uh, uh, asking during the sketch, it's like, why can't you show us how to defend someone attacking us with pointed sticks? And it's, he keeps getting told to shut up. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he's, Eric Idle is told more than once that, uh, you know, someone comes, you know, attacking you with a, a bunch of uh, boysenberries don't come running to me <laughs> or something to that effect. But uh, the, the, the part that uh, the part that makes that sketch is uh, the, the hardest thing for many comedians to pull off. It's the dismount where um, they uh, 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 it keeps escalating and escalating. And uh, uh, you you do get to see a tiger being unleashed on one of the uh, the four uh, people. And uh, finally, the, uh, uh, the the greatest of all Python things, you see what I believe is the first appearance of the 16-ton weight. The 16-ton weight. <laughs> yes. Yep. So that, that sketch is uh, it's pioneering. Uh, it, uh, it introduces a lot of concepts that, uh, that we will enjoy uh, over the next uh, four years of Monty Python or the next 50 years of, uh, of us uh, enjoying it. Um, and... Uh, so I uh, I like I like fresh fruit and I make no apologies for it. In fact, I've got some strawberries in uh, the kitchen right this second in the strainer that um, that I've looked at uh, crossways a few times. I'm not sure at all uh, that I am uh, safe in this house. Bill, uh, doesn't Eric Idle uh, say pointed stick? Yes. Like, doesn't yes. he enunciate that? Ted stick. Shut up. <laughs> About someone that attacks us with a pointed stick. Yes, he's uh, he enunciates he enunciates very carefully. That was ironic, seeing as I did not enunciate that very well. But he enunciates very carefully a pointed stick. Yeah. Yes. Well, in the the moment there's a moment in that sketch because you know at at first it's it's just it's a silly sketch where obviously the guy who is running the class has some kind of mental faculty defect. 
he feels that there are people out there waiting to attack you with fresh fruit and you need to be able to defend yourself. And that's, that's, you know, that's the fun part of the sketch at that point. But then suddenly he talks Graham Chapman into attacking him with a banana. And there's the great moment where Graham Chapman just kind of listlessly walks forward, holding the banana out in front of him. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 brandish it, you know, up, over your head. And so he, and he goes scream. And then Graham Chapman just screams. Ah! And then John Cleese just shoots him dead. Yes. <laughs> and it's almost like the, the sketch just freaking stops right there because everybody, everybody else in the sketch is just like, you shot him. And he's like, whoa, he was attacking me with a banana. <laughs> and then, I'm of course, gonna... once you've shot the man, you, you, you eat the banana, thus disarming him. That's right. I've, uh, I've always had uh, uh, a very dark sense of humor, and uh, I completely blame fresh fruit for that mm-hmm. in all its forms. Yeah. And then that's when he when he talks the other two into uh, attacking him with the the raspberries, each of them uh, a basket each. And they go, just promise you won't shoot me. And he he's, he throws the gun away and he's like, well, you were going to shoot me. <laughs> like, no, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. And then what you do when someone is attacking you with raspberries is you release the tiger. Release the tiger. And then the really fake stuffed. <laughs> tiger that's obviously on a skateboard it's on wheels sliding across yes ah the sliding i can visualize that now that is brilliant another one of the great things about that show is they were not afraid to you know well the the tiger's got to look real no it doesn't that's not part of the joke you know (laughs) doesn't matter what the tiger looks like not so much all right um hey by the way uh a quick little aside. Uh, I did some uh, some research and uh, found out that according to Reddit, so you know this is a uh, uh, an, this is a source of uh, veracity and uh, truth. Uh, it says here Gumby's going back to Gumby's. What the heck are Gumby's? Uh, they are what uh, Britons uh, refer to as special needs uh, populations. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that uh, Britain in the 70s was uh, very liberal and would allow uh, uh, the so-called Gumbies to hold career in uh, very important jobs uh, that could put people's lives at risk. And um, uh, uh, the little towels on their heads um, says here the reply is uh, – uh, wearing a handkerchief on the head is a stereotype of the Englishman on holiday. The Gumbies wear them to represent the fact that they're on a permanent holiday. Uh, the source of that entry is uh, Gumbies I Have Known by Professor R.J. Gumby, Dr. L.M. Gumby, Mrs. Enid Scrotum Gumby, and Ralph the Dancing Bear with a Ford by ex-King Zog of Albania. Price £17.06 at all good booksellers. So, mystery solved, people. You're welcome. Well, I can I can see why the Monty Python wiki doesn't go into detail, because that would not be considered politically correct. Uh, was, that, that, I do time. feel feel a bit bad about right. It's like suddenly I feel now. like I should <laughs> oh, not. No. It's like okay, that in I not, guess it's not that. Funny. In 1975, we had to have known that it was something like that. This is not new. Yeah. I'm not apologizing <laughs> for it. I uh, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frank, you're number two. Uh. I don't know what the name of this sketch is, but renting an argument. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Uh, uh, just a brilliant piece of of simple wordplay, especially yes. when um, uh, when Palin uh, reads the definition of what an argument is, and and uh, Cleese comes back with, "No, it isn't." <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and then they go back and forth. And it, it is just so I feel yeah. that it's one of those universal um, uh, uh, skits that you could just put out there and anyone would love. Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. I didn't. I'm telling you, I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? <laughs> oh, oh, just the five-minute one. Fine. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. I most definitely told you. You did not. Yes, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. You just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, then. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument's a connected series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Arguments are an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic game saying of anything the other person says. No, it isn't. That's the argument clinic. And uh, yeah, it's that moment. It's because he says an argument is a collective series of statements intended to establish a proposition. It's not just saying, no, it isn't. John Cleese said, yes, it is. And it's- then Michael Palin <laughs> fires back with, no, it isn't. <laughs> and I just, that is... That that I mean, that's genius. Those, you know, it's not just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Love it. Bri- yeah, that is brilliant writing because yes. that is so simple. Yeah. Well, everything about that is so brilliant because at one point, um, at one point, the uh, the so-called uh, arguer just stops. Yeah. <laughs> because his time is up. Yeah. Ding. Thank you. Yes. It's like that wasn't five minutes. Sorry, I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. Well, I've just paid. No, you haven't. Ha! I've got you. <laughs> you wouldn't be arguing unless I've paid. I could be arguing in my spare time. That's right. <laughs> I've had enough of this. No, you haven't. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. That's that's like I said, that's one that was on that uh, the first time I came across that. It's It's amazing how a lot of these classic sketches – Though I was watching the show on PBS, it's like PBS only aired the same five episodes in Kansas or something, because that, you know, that is one of those sketches that the first time I came across, it was on that final ripoff CD. So audio was the first time I heard it. And it's one of those perfect. You don't need to be in the room with them. You can listen to that sketch and it's just as funny. And uh, it's one of those that I thought, I wish we would have done this. In, in our forensics thing instead of the, the Black Knight scene, because it, it is. It's just genius. Well, you'll know next time. Yes. When I'm when I'm reliving my high school days. That's right. And, and it also it, it also feels like it takes uh, intellectualism down a peg because of what it the simplicity of it. You know, it's supposed to be this clinic where they're going to help you. And it's about arguing. But it just comes back to to yes and no. That's uh, in the end. That's all it is. <laughs> Well, in in the audio version, it ends somewhat the same way, because I think in the in in the show, he he leaves the room. He goes into uh, I think I don't know if he goes in the audio sketch. From what I remember, he leaves the room and he goes into another room to complain. And Eric Idle is in there and he goes, I'd like to complain. And he's like, you'd like to complain. I haven't had these shoes for a week and the heels are worn right through. And 
He's like, no, I want to complain about. And then he keeps arguing with him about complaining. So he leaves. He goes into another room. And in the audio version, it's I think they have the the same room the being hit on the head lessons in, in the actual <laughs> show. But he goes into the room and he's like, hello, I'd like to complain. And then somebody hits him on the head and he goes, ow. And he goes, no, it's it's wow. Wow. And he hits him on the head again. And he goes, ow. And he goes, no, wow. Like this. Wow. And he hits him again. And he goes, wow. And he goes, good. And he goes, no, I want to complain. He goes, oh, no, that's it's being hit on the head lessons in here. And he says, what a stupid concept. And then the sketch ends on the on the on the CD. <laughs> it's being hit on the head lessons. All right. My number two is uh, more of a visual. Uh, Sam Peckinpah's salad days. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. I say anyone for tennis. For tennis? I, say, the tennis I say Nigel catch. He throws the tennis ball to him, hits Michael Palin in the face, and blood just starts spewing. And it turns into a bloodbath from that point on. It's just there there's really nothing much more to it than that. Just that one moment there because they're such upper class, you know, the crust of society, and they're they're just so ooh, so proper and British and polite. And I say, anyone for the tennis? No, Nigel. I say, catch, throws him the tennis ball and Bam! Blood screaming. People's arms are falling off, getting caught in the piano. And at one point, somebody literally has all the keys to the keyboard on the piano thrust through their chest and they're flailing about and that cuts somebody else's head off. And it's just a it's just such a, a stupid bloodbath of a, of a sketch. And it's one of my favorites. It ends in literal fountains of blood, which yes. uh, always amused the hell out of me. Um, I. Uh, I gravitated uh, uh, immediately, and again, I don't know what this is about me, but I gravitated immediately as a child to the most uh, dark and inappropriate comedy uh, that was uh, available to uh, uh, consumers in Oklahoma. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I did too, and this was one of the sketches I had seen on PBS. So I was rather young the first time I saw it, and the 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 I guess you could use the word juxtaposition of the 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 bright sunny cheery day of all the well-dressed people out in the the field the piano and the umbrellas and just being happy and gay and then suddenly the bloodbath and i had no idea at the time who sam peckinpah was maybe that would have clued me into what was coming but not knowing who he was and uh you know it shocked me even more when that tennis ball hit michael palin's face and he (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> throws his hand up into his to his face in pain and blood just starts spurting out of his face. Oh, brilliant. Pretty strong meat there from Sam. <laughs> yes. Peck and paw. Stop sniffing. <laughs> Will you please stop sniffing? Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Uh, number one, Bill. Number one. Um, I uh, uh, first I, I wish to uh, object to the use of the word juxtaposition. I find it a very tinny, tinny sounding word. Ooh, tinny. Mm. Which uh, dovetails nicely into my uh, my personal number one sketch, Woody. I like, uh, to this day, I find words that sound Woody. Gone. <laughs> What's gone, dear? Nothing, nothing. No, just, just like the word, it gives me confidence. Gone. Gone. It's got a sort of Woody quality about it. Gone. Gone. <laughs> Much better than newspaper or litter bin. Oh, frightful words. Perfectly dreadful. Ugh. 
newspaper litter bin. Dreadful tinny sort of word. <laughs> tin, tin, tin. Oh, dear, don't say tin to Rebecca. You know how it upsets her. Uh, sorry, old horse. And uh, I do like them, much like uh, the word antelope. There's one Woody word I will not say on air because this is an all-ages show. But, um, yes, I, uh, I, make, uh, I make no... No uh, uh, apologies for enjoying the, uh, the the Woody Ward sketch. And, and let's see, is there an actual title to this bad boy? Um, if you haven't, if you haven't I don't, watched it yet. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, but while you're looking that up. Well, one of the Woody and Tinny Words. Woody and Tinny Words. And Graham Chapman makes that sketch. Just I could sit there and listen to him say stuff like antelope. That's you right. know, I could hear him say that stuff. Over and over. Okay, hoops look damn pretty this afternoon. I, um, uh, that is, uh, I assume that that was written by, uh, uh, by Cleese and Graham Chapman, but, uh, but I'm actually not sure. Uh, it feels, uh, it feels very, very absurd and surrealist, even though it is kind of a, uh, a thesaurus sketch. Uh, as they go through, uh, many words that are woody or tinny. Uh, the problem is that uh, every time um, uh, the poor daughter hears a tinny word, uh, she has to cover her ears, scream, and run from the room. Yes, played yeah. by the excellent Carol Cleveland. That's right. Uh, often cited uh, by the members of Python themselves as the seventh Python. Newspaper, litter bin, dreadful tinny sort of words, tin, tin, tin. Caribou, That's gone. Right. Oh, dear to Rebecca. You know how it upsets her? Sorry, old horse. Sausage? (laughs) Sausage. That's a good woody sort of word. Sausage. God. So, yes. You don't want an antelope nibbling hoops, by the way. You want want a croquet set made out of wood. Not those awful tinny things. Tin, tin, tin. I walk around I walk around probably daily thinking to myself, woody, woody, tinny, 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 tinny. Yuck. So Such a weird sketch. I mean, it just, I mean, are, it, it, you almost, I mean, you're sitting there listening to that or watching that. And you're, are they trying to say that the aristocracy of Britain have nothing better to do with their rich, pampered lives than to sit around and wonder which words are, are, are woody and which words are tinny? Oh, the good old days. You know, that's interesting. I, I've never, uh, uh, it's never occurred to me to, consider deeper meaning behind uh well most things uh right. especially that sketch yeah but i'm the guy who um i'm the guy who notoriously doesn't uh uh i don't think about movies while i'm watching them either i turn my brain off and uh whoever i'm watching a movie with will invariably go well blank is going to happen i'm like okay well i hadn't i hadn't thought about that so thanks to the uh thanks to the uh, the assumed spoiler coming yes. right up then so no, i'm the ex- i'm the exact same thing. way yes there was a, there's a story I like to tell where I was uh, listening to. Do you guys remember the Bullpen Bulletins podcast with David Price and Vince B? Barely, yes. I'm there, aware of it. And I, I believe I've talked to one of the two of those guys about this before, but this was way back in the day, like before we had started podcasting, probably. Um, they had done an episode where they were talking about the first issue of Astonishing X-Men. And there's a moment in Astonishing X-Men where uh, Kitty Pride goes into the, into the mansion and she does so by phasing through the, the front door instead of opening it. 
And I remember listening to the episode and, and Vince B is talking about how that's such a great moment in the issue because it, 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 uh, it clearly shows how she is connected to the X-Men because for a moment there, as she is, she's walking through that door, she's literally connected to the mansion and he's reading all this subtext into it. And, and I remember listening to that going, really? I just thought it just meant that here's an easy way to show what her power set is. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, it's like, there are, there are people who can read books and watch shows and just see all that subtext. And I'm not one of them. <laughs> Steven, I'm right there with you, buddy. Um, I, uh, I find it uh, kind of amazing uh, occasionally as I, so I self-reflect and uh, think about something I've just watched and that, uh, well, I probably should have seen that coming a uh, half hour ago, but I didn't. So yeah. it's okay. I, I consider that a, a generally a boon that uh, yes. I, I turn my brain off and I just enjoy the ride and I don't uh, sit there and try to scry out the endings of these things. Uh, That's right, because then we get surprised. Thank we, you. you know, it's like, I did not see that coming. And it, what? Nobody, right? Everybody else saw it coming a mile away. Right. We get to enjoy it. It's the first time I ever remember that uh, that syndrome happening. Uh, I was uh, um, at the theaters watching uh, with my uh, childhood best, with the aforementioned childhood best friend Kenny, and we were watching uh, Angel Heart, uh, which is a, a real, uh, a, a real rib tickler uh, for those of you who've never seen it, by the way. But um, about halfway through it, spoilers. Uh, about half, uh, well, less than halfway through it, uh, Kenny goes, uh, Kenny goes, that's Lucifer. I go, well, that's the movie. Exactly. And I spent the last 40 minutes, I spent the last half of the movie going, well, it's the freaking devil. So I guess we kind of know what's going now. But, um, well, yes. My daughter, the aforementioned Palin, was at a friend's house and they were watching The Sixth Sense. First time she's ever seen the movie. Uh oh. And spoiler, the kid was dead the entire time. What the hell? And she says that as she's watching it, at one point during the beginning, she looks at her friend and she goes, let me guess, he's dead. And she's like, well, I guess there's no point in watching the rest of this movie. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and her friend knew. Her friend had seen it before. Uh, but, see, I managed to get all the way to the end of Sixth Sense without uh, without guessing the, yeah, the crazy me too. twist. So, I was blown away. Yes. No clue. So the one time I've seen that movie, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, Frank, you're number one. <clears throat> My number one, the Battle of Pearl Harbor. Oh, yes. The Badly Townswomen's Guild. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because the money, uh, because the pythons are in drag, they are playing posh women, and they they, uh, make a total disaster of of themselves uh, fighting in the mud. And how that reflects to Pearl Harbor, I have no idea. Uh, but I love the brilliant silliness of it. Miss Rita Fairbanks, you organized this reconstruction of the Battle of Pearl Harbor. Why? Uh, well, we've always been extremely interested in modern drama. We were, of course, the first townswomen's guild uh, to perform Camp on Blood Island. And last year, of course, we did an extremely popular reenactment of Nazi war atrocities. And so this year, we thought we'd like to do something in a lighter vein. So you chose the Battle of Pearl Harbor. Yes, that's right, we did. Well, I can see you're all ready to go, so I'll just wish you good luck in your latest venture. 
Thank you very much, young man. Ladies and gentlemen, the world of history is proud to present the premiere of the Batley Towns Women's Guild reenactment of the Battle of Pearl Harbor. You could almost say that the battle. Well, no, I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. <laughs> I, I've I've never appreciated uh, Monty Python more than in sketches like that where you go, oh, there was no point. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's uh, like the fish just, slapping just, dance. They yes, got everybody exactly. together, put them in costume, drove out to this field, set up all their equipment just so they could roll wrestle around in the mud and hit <laughs> each other with their purses. Uh, that uh, some friends and I did that skit for us. It was at a party or something. We weren't in drag, but we uh, someone had had announced uh, we were going to reenact the Battle of Pearl Harbor and then proceeded just to wrestle. And we just <laughs> thought it was the funniest thing. That's funny. Yeah, that's a really good one. They uh, it's the it's the second because I know that the Batley Town Women's Guild was on another sketch reenacting some other war battle, uh, World War II atrocities or something in general or something. And I don't remember which one it is, but before Eric Idle blows their little whistle and they all come out and fight, the the guy, the announcer, Graham Chapman, is like, and, and now the Batley Towns woman guild represent blah, blah, blah. And she looks at the camera and she goes, thank you very, thank you very much, young man. And then she blows her little whistle, and then they all just come out of nowhere and just start fighting. It's so funny. Yeah. Very much. Uh, I, I I love the uh, the short kind of left field type of uh, of skits where it's just like uh, you're you're kind of and and then it is immediately cut off. I love it when a joke just kind of like ends and then you move on to the next thing. That's what uh, fish slapping dance does. That's what. Um, um, the, this one does too. Yeah. It it just makes me laugh so much because it it doesn't give you uh, an opportunity to uh, to deconstruct it. It just happens and you move on. <laughs> yep. Just it just keeps the show moving. Yeah. All right. Well, my number one uh, you'd already used, which is the fish slapping dance. So we've already talked about that. So let me let me talk about my uh, four. Um, Good Lord, I can't remember that word again. Oh, Bill, Bill what, what am I looking for here? Honorable, honorable mentions. I thought mention. of <laughs> my four honorable mentions. The first one is a sketch called Flying Lessons, in which Terry Jones enters an office to for to get flying lessons, and he finds Graham Chapman hanging from the ceiling, and Graham Chapman's there to teach him how to fly, like he is apparently flying, and not how to fly a plane. And one of the greatest parts about that sketch is how Graham Chapman keeps uh, he keeps getting annoyed by Terry Jones because he thinks Terry Jones is very, very haughty. So he's like, he's like, he's like, you're not you're not flying. You're on a wire. Oh, I'm on a wire. Am I? Ooh. And and he's like, he's like, uh, <clears throat> he's like, here, I've, let me get the oop. And he goes, what's an oop? And he goes, a, a hoop. And he holds up a hoop and he goes, oh, a hoop. Oh, and hoop. <laughs> it's, it's Graham Chapman's really good in that one. Um, well, if people can't fly, what am I doing up here? You on a wire? Oh, 
A wire. I'm on a wire, am I? Of course you're on a bloody wire. I am not on a wire. I am flaying. You're on a wire. I am flaying. <laughs> you're on a wire. I'll show you whether I'm on a wire or not. Give me the oop. What? Oh, I don't suppose we know what an oop is. <laughs> I suppose Peter thought they were a bit common, except on the bleeding croquet lawn. Oh, oop. Oh, and hoop. <laughs> Thank you, your bleeding eyeness. No. The Dull Life of a City Stockbroker. Uh, this is a nonverbal sketch with uh, Michael Palin just going to work as a stockbroker and all these exciting things that happen around him that he doesn't notice. For example, he's standing in line for the bus and he's getting ready to get on the bus and the four people behind him in line are suddenly attacked by Frankenstein, who just comes up from behind and one on one at a time, knocks him on the head and knocks him out. And by the time he gets to Michael Palin, he boards the bus and Frankenstein snaps his fingers like shucks. I missed it. <laughs> and then as he's on the bus, a like a World War One battle breaks out all around him. Soldiers get on the bus and they're firing off the bus and there's explosions and and uh, just fun stuff like that. That that's one of my favorites. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Bill already mentioned it earlier. The restaurant sketch where Graham Chapman complains about a dirty fork. And uh, everybody just goes crazy and the, the manager collapses and John Cleese comes out and starts screaming at them. You bastards. That's right. And uh, then they go, and now the punchline. They go, and now the punchline. And he says, good thing I didn't, didn't tell him about the dirty knife. Yeah. The audience goes, boo. And- Lucky we didn't say anything about the dirty knife. That's a great one. And then my last honorable mention is Bicycle Repair Man. Oh! Oh my goodness! And I love that only for their great American accents. Most specifically, the line told by John Cleese. See how he uses a spanner to tighten that nut. Why, he's mending it with his own hand. See how he uses a spanner to tighten that nut. <laughs> I've, uh, doesn't, doesn't John Cleese also start his own song, but it doesn't go anywhere? I, I must be confusing uh, two skits. There, there is a skit, I thought it was Bicycle Repair, <laughs> where uh, 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 someone comes out, they talk about something they'd rather be doing, they sing about it. I believe it's in a courtroom. And then John oh, Cleese comes yes. out and starts to sing, too. Now, but there's yes, no music. I, I also made a list of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of my favorite episodes. Because some of my favorite sketches um, are part of episodes that it's just the episode is either a themed episode uh, or it's. Well, for example, the first one I have is is episode three, which is entitled how to recognize different types of trees from quite a long way away. And that sketch is in that episode. And it's the Cardinal Richelieu sketch. Okay. And uh, Graham Chapman comes in. He is uh, so-and-so of the yard. I can't remember his his uh, policeman's name. And somebody says, by God, you're smart. And he goes, have you always wanted to be a detective? And he, and he says, no, I, I, you know, if, if, and he sings a song, if I was not in the CID, uh, Something else I'd like to be, and it's about being a window washer. And then when he finishes ah. his song, John Cleese, who is the barrister, 
If I was not before the bar, something else I'd like to be. If I was not a barrister, an engine driver, me. <laughs> With a choof, 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 and a choof. And that's about when he notices that nobody else is singing. And he's like, choof, very uncomfortably walks off screen. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, identifying trees from a long, long ways away, least favorite skit. Well, it's not really it's not really a sketch. It's just a yeah. it's just yeah. a linking device. And number three, the lodge. Yeah. The lodge. But it's uh, a, as an episode, it's a great episode. It's got some great sketches in it. Let me let me look here. It's got a uh, it's got that courtroom scene. It's got bicycle repair man. The restaurant sketches in that episode. The seduced milkman. <laughs> Where the milkman follows the the half naked lady up the steps and she locks them in a room with other milkmen who have been there for years. Uh, the stolen newsreader is in that sketch. That is that's one of those genius sketches that just seems to go nowhere. John Cleese is is at the desk reading the news and suddenly three guys in in striped shirts and masks bust in shooting guns and you find that the desk is on wheels. And they wheel them out of the studio and they put them in the back of a truck. And you have to sit here and watch as the truck drives along the highway the whole time. Yes. John Cleese is still reading the news. And then there's this long freaking shot of them wheeling the uh, the desk along this really long pier. And then they just dump them off the end and then it's over. Then they just go to the next thing. <laughs> it's such such a wonderful sketch. Uh, nudge, nudge. Oh, is in that, brilliant. Is in that. My goodness. Children's interview, which is uh, when John, I think it's uh, John Cleese is interviewing Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and Eric Idle, and they're supposed to be little kids. So they're on their knees. And, and uh, so I'd like, I'd like to see Raquel Welch dropped on top of me. <laughs> and the, the, the one of them is really nervous. And he goes, he goes, can you recognize different types of trees from long ways away? And Michael Palin <laughs> just goes, I want to go home. <laughs> that's a great one uh i also i included uh from episode 27 wicker's world or njol's saga which is the the great icelandic saga ah yes bill and i were talking a bit about that while while your your uh your feed wasn't working um but this this great icelandic saga that they run out of money to produce and then the town of malden sponsors it and then they start advertising throughout the throughout the saga, which is pretty good. And they, they that they try that to, is the one where that's on the beach, but they put white for snow. No, that's no. not of the Antarctic. That's also okay. that's a great sketch. That is a great sketch. Um, let's see what else did I have? Episode thirty-four, the cycling tour, which is pretty much one continuous story with Michael Palin uh, doing a cycling tour of North Cornwall and ends up in Russia. With uh, Terry Jones, who thinks he is um, Trotsky or Karl Marx, <laughs> one of them, and they 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 end up staying at a uh, uh, what was it the AYMCA the anti no the the YMACA the Young Man's Anti Christian Association <laughs> in, uh, in Russia. Um, <laughs> episode forty, the Golden Age of Ballooning. Love that one. Um, Balloon. It's a uh, it while it's not one continuous story, it does pretty much every sketch has something to do with ballooning. But there's a lot about the Montgolfier brothers who first 
who made the first hot air balloon. And uh, Michael Palin plays a, a, a Scotsman posing as the king of uh, France. Is it? I think he, he's Louis the fourth and he keeps getting his number wrong and he's there to steal the plans to the hot air balloon. And then I also, uh, last one episode 44, Mr. Neutron. And that is worth it. Just again, Eric Idle and Michael Palin both play American characters in that show. And I love their American, their American accents are the best. Um, it's worth it to see Graham Chapman, in his Mr. Neutron costume with his giant shoulder pads and his skinny legs. Um, that, and then of course that, the, that final season, I'm not that familiar with the, yeah, the uh, final, that, the final season's only like seven episodes or something, yeah. but it's got some classic stuff in there. It's, you know, it, to me that, that last season, which didn't have John Cleese, uh, to me is a lot like the meaning of life. I think most people consider it the worst of their four seasons or their series, as they say in Britain, but it's got some great stuff in it. And Mr. Neutron is, is one of those. That one I, I need to be reminded. I'll have to look that one up online because I can visualize it a little bit. Uh, there's the, the there, there's an American agency that discovers that Mr. Neutron is free and he's the most powerful man in the universe and they have to find him. And Michael Palin plays some American general or something. And he's, he just starts having all these cities all across the world bombed just in case. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really good. There, there, and there's a lot of moments with him who he's, he's behind his desk and he's discovered some kind of smell. He's just sitting there and he's sniffing <laughs> and he can't tell if the smell is coming from him. So in various parts of the episode, you come across him and he's got his, shirt off and he's smelling under his arms and, and he's, he's, he's sniffing various places on his body and just in, and then the they they send him out to find they send eric idol out to find teddy salad who's the the greatest secret agent ever and he's a master of disguise and we find out that he's disguised as a dog and uh he's had to he's had to have like most of his limbs removed to to get into the dog costume and it's yes it's it's really good stuff okay he goes to the yukon and then, of course, just as Teddy Salad is about to give him the secret to stopping Mr. Neutron, they bomb the Yukon. And uh, that's it. <sighs> Any other that episodes is... or sketches stand out for you guys? Well, I would just say that uh, I think that of the sketches I did not mention in my top five, I would list uh, in my um, honorable mention category. Uh, let me think. Um, every other sketch. So <laughs> every sorry. other one. I'm sorry if that sounds like a cop out. That's how it goes. Monty Python is like pizza. Even bad pizza is still pretty dang good. Here, right. here. Hey, that is a great statement, Bill. Thank you. I agree. Clearly, that's why I'm here this morning. <laughs> so which do you guys have a favorite Python, Frank? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it. Um <clears throat> I think I, I think I have to go with Cleese, and that's mostly when he yells or he acts like a like a self righteous when he's self righteous a self righteous character. Uh, I love it when he does that, um, uh, especially like in in the argument clinic. Uh, that one just really speaks to me. So Cleese is my favorite. Bill, 
I uh, always identified, I think, most with uh, Michael Palin. And I'm sorry if I'm stealing thunder here. Um, but um, but again, I uh, uh, love and appreciate all of them. But uh, yeah, I'd have to say uh, I'd say Michael Palin uh, probably for his uh, his goofy faces. But again, it's like trying to you know it's like hey, which is your favorite child? Yes. So yeah. you know it's not it, this is kind of a one A one B one C one D one E thing, not one two three four five. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I you know back there was a there was a time back in the day when I used to run my own Monty Python website called Pythonland. And I had categorized each one of the Pythons. And I, I it wasn't something that I came up with. I had grabbed it from other sources, but I, I remember I remember you had Eric Idle as the greedy Python. Yeah. Eric <laughs> Idle, the greedy one. Yeah. Terry Jones, the Welsh one. Uh Michael Palin, the nice one. John Cleese, the tall one, <laughs> Terry Gilliam, the American one, and then Graham Chapman, the dead one. Oh. But I can't do that now because of Terry Jones. But you were saying about your website. Well, I just that I was just that because he mentioned Michael Palin. I was going to say, yeah, Michael Palin's the nice one. There is. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And I don't it used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it is anymore. But the BBC, I think it was, did a, a dramatization, you know, one of those uh, uh, biopic type movies about um, like the, the Monty Python versus uh, whoever it was when when they tried to ban the life of Brian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when it when it came out and there was a lot of places that wouldn't play it. And then John Cleese and Michael Palin went on a talk show with. uh like a religious figure and, and, and some conservative and they debated, well, they made a movie out of that. They made a, like a TV movie where different people played the Pythons. And it's a, it's a really good, uh, if, if you ever, God, I can't even think of it. I think it's just called Monty Python versus maybe, I don't know, but it's the, there's a book about it and there's this movie about it that used to be on streaming and don't know if it still is anymore, but it's really good if you ever if you ever run across it. It's something okay. to watch. It, is, is it is it more dramatic? Uh, I imagine it, there's some silly stuff in it, but the, I guess it's a mix of both because it is supposed to be a dramatic retelling. But because it's Monty Python, I feel like they added a bunch of weird, maybe some animation type stuff in it every once in a while. I, I remember they they made it Pythonesque, which is mm-hmm. an actual word now. Um, but it, it it was one of those things because I'd always, you know, growing up and watching the documentaries and stuff, it's it was always in in Python, the two leading figures to me were always John Cleese on one side and, and Terry Gilliam on the other, or Terry Jones on the other, and they were always butting heads. But when the show was made, the two most famous Pythons at the time were John Cleese and Michael Palin. John Cleese was known for uh, the uh, the Frost Report. They 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 all at one point worked on the Frost Report as writers with David Frost, except for Terry Gilliam. Um, but John Cleese actually had a lot of on camera stuff in the Frost Report, and then Michael Palin had his own like weird pop show or something on on t- on TV at one point before Python. So those two were actually the two, as far as the public were concerned, in Britain. They were the two most famous in the show and most the most recognizable. Now, growing up, and even today when I talk to people today, tell me if you guys get have gotten the same thing. First, 
people think that Monty Python was one of them and that Monty Python was John Cleese. You guys ever heard that? I've never come across that. People tell me that all the time. Oh, yeah, I like Monty Python. Wasn't that wasn't John Cleese Monty Python? <laughs> and then I got to go, well, no. And then I have to explain it to them. And then eventually they walk away because I'm being a nerd. Sure. I, I have gotten I think to the point because I surround myself with nerds that uh, yeah. that never happens. I have gotten to the point in my life where I don't. There are I get into certain groups of people that I don't even like to tell them that I'm a Monty Python fan because you get there's always one person that knows everything about Monty Python, and then they'll start telling you everything you, they know, and everything they know is completely wrong. I had a guy. 15 years, 10, 15 years ago, who told me that Michael Palin was the one that died and there was nothing I could do to convince him otherwise. And I just get to the point anymore now where I just smile and nod. Yeah, I'm, I'm a smile and, and nodder, too. I, I've given up just trying to, to, to correct people on stuff and uh, like pop culture stuff or, or things of that nature, because it's just like, oh, OK, yeah. no, like, I guess uh, I guess the Dallas Cowboys did did start in Houston first. So, OK, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've um, I've become um, uh, that type, too. I'll uh, I'll clear my conscience and I will tell them what I'm pretty sure the correct, uh, uh, answer is. And then when you invariably get that, Nope, Nope, it's uh Nope. Uh, Michael pounds on the diet. I'll just go. Okay. Okay. I guess I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Give him the big thumbs up and the big cheek <laughs> smile. Someday, someday in 30 years, you'll read something go, Oh, and then you'll probably will have forgotten it anyway. So what the heck? Yeah. It's when you, it's, it's that moment during a conversation that you quickly realize that, Whoever it is you're talking to, you've never met them before. You'll probably never see them again. Their opinion doesn't mean anything. Just smile and nod and walk away. It's tough, <laughs> when, that happens. It's tough when that happens with coworkers because invariably yeah. my opinion of them goes way down. You <laughs> talk about a letter grade. Yeah. So real quick, because I'm sure my my audience will demand it. Bill, including and now for something completely different, which is your favorite movie? Holy cow. Um uh, that's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, I am going to go ahead and go with, um, well, I'll say the Holy Grail. Um, it, it was the first and, uh, like many Monty Python things, um, it doesn't age a day. Uh, it's still just as funny today as it was the first time I saw it probably 40 years ago. So, yeah. well, 30, 30 to 35 years ago, probably. Um, um, yeah, I wish I could think of something besides one of their three big movies, but, uh, but I can't, so I won't, and I'm done. Frank? <laughs> I have to mirror everything Bill said. That, that movie is pretty close to perfect as a comedy. I, I, my answer has always been, uh, Holy Grail is the classic. That's the one that if anybody knows anything about Monty Python, it's the Holy Grail. Yes. But... My favorite of the four has always been Life of Brian. Oh, okay. Now, having said that, a number of years back, my uh, my stepbrother, my wife's older brother, gets a hold of me one day and he says, "Hey, uh, I got these tickets. Uh, John Cleese, uh, he's on. He was on this tour. He had a book, and uh, he was coming to Topeka, Kansas, and we were gonna go. We, I said yes, of course." We went to see a screening of the Holy Grail on the big screen, the first time I'd ever seen the Holy Grail on the big screen. 
And then John Cleese came out after and answered questions. And uh, there's something about watching this movie that I could probably sit down and recite almost word for word just from memory. But there's something about watching that movie in a room full of people who love the movie just as much as I do. I find myself laughing more and having way much more fun with it, even though we got stuck in the very front row, right dead center, which was great for when John Cleese was on stage. But for the the movie screen, it uh, really hurt your neck after a while. But (laughs) but, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And then, of course, John Cleese comes out and I had taken my daughter Palin with me uh, because he had four tickets, one for himself, one for myself. He took his daughter and then I ended up taking Palin with me. And there was a moment when John Cleese was out, they, they had a, a thing set up in the lobby where you could, where they had these papers with pens and you could write down questions and then they chose which ones they were going to ask. They had a guy sit there with them and pulling questions out. And at one point, John Cleese, who has been married multiple times, he starts talking about marriage and he starts talking about kids. And at one point he starts talking about how terrible children are <laughs> and how kids are the worst. <laughs> They're the worst thing in the world. And as he's saying it, he looks down because, like I said, we're right in the front row, dead center. He looks down and he sees Palin and he just says, not you, dear. You're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the one thing Palin's eyes like, John, please talk to me. <laughs> yeah, he did. That is uh, is such a wonderful rant from uh, Cleese. I can totally hear him saying that. Yeah, nowadays I think I would categorize him as the grumpy one. He has become grumpy. The older he's become, yeah. He's, he's yeah. gotten to be quite the curmudgeon. All right, well, this episode has gone way longer than many of my episodes. I may have to end up splitting this sucker into two. Hey, do it. And just releasing one on Tuesday and then one on Thursday. But uh, I'm trying to find my email real quick where I had run down some of the stuff that I thought we should talk about. I think we covered most everything. Let's see. We talked about our first time we were exposed to Monty Python, who our favorite Python is, favorite movie, uh, our favorite sketches. Uh, Frank, you haven't listened to all the albums, so we won't do the uh, favorite albums. Yeah, unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to to participate uh, in that part. Yeah, that's okay. Maybe we'll come back at some point. We'll do. Yeah. Frank has now listened to all the Monty Python albums. (laughs) Nice. We'll be there for that. Because there's there really is. You're going to hear stuff you've never heard before. And the the stuff that they have out there on the streaming services like YouTube Music and Spotify and Apple Music and whatnot. They are uh, re-releases from uh, just a few years back. And I have found that there are bonus tracks on those that I had never before heard because I owned, I had bought this, this, uh, it was like the, the Monty Python box set that had all of their albums on CD in one, in one set. (laughs) And this is a newer version of those albums and there. There are, there's bonus stuff on them. Mm -hmm. So a number of years back, I got to hear new Monty Python stuff I'd never heard before. So that was kind of fun. There was a there. I do recall one album that I listened to, and it starts off with, um, oh, someone describing the album and how it's made of quality material. Yes. And and uh, and the joke in there is like, and there's only one curse word in fart and and uh, and fart, which happens here or it's, something like that. Yeah, that's that is the uh, that's the Holy Grail soundtrack, because it's okay. the uh, what is it? The executive version. 
Yes, basically you're listening to to a, a more a higher quality version than everybody else. And yeah, there's there's little to no offensive material apart from and I'm not going to use the words, but yeah. there are there are four or five different curse words they say. And then, yeah, he goes. And as we've just said them, you'll pass them now. Yes. Which I always thought was brilliant. That yeah. little part. <laughs> yes. That's great. <clears throat> it's funny because as you listen to the uh, the soundtracks to each of the each of the movies, you've got the Holy Grail soundtrack, which, like I said, they just went above and beyond. There is so much new stuff in that it's it's almost like they said you know what there's really not enough from this movie that we could put on this album and make an actual album out of so we've got to add a bunch of stuff in there to really pad it out (laughs) and then you get to uh life of brian and they do something similar but it's only graham chapman and eric idle doing any of the new stuff and it's it's like graham chapman plays a guy in the studio who's linking the various scenes together from the movie on the album and eric idols the guy in the booth the director and so graham chapman's trying to read from this script and he gets certain things wrong and and mike and eric idol has to correct him at times and so there's a lot of that in that in that uh soundtrack so it's like new stuff but it's not on this in the same scale as the holy grail and then by life of well then by meaning of life i don't know that there's any new stuff in that it's like they've just by that point, they're like, whatever. Just throw some st- we're not even going to be involved. Just throw some stuff together on the album and put it out there. I don't remember if there's any, because there's plenty of songs in that movie. And, you know, between the songs and the sketches that, that work well in audio, I don't think they added anything new to that. But I'd be interested to hear what you think once, once you get through them. You might, you know, if you want to be a real nerd about it, go online and find out which, you know, the, the, the order of release and listen to them. Okay. By the order of release. And I don't know if it's even out there, but they actually did an album that is just um I think they just took the audio straight from the shows and made an album out of the first series or something. I don't I've only listened through that once, but <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I it uh, it's obviously that some of these have been remastered because uh another Monty Python record, according to this listing, was twenty fourteen and then um Congre- uh, contractual obligation is 206 so uh, or uh, 26 so yeah they've obviously added more material to what i can see here but i'll just find a plane order and that'll be fun to listen to them while i walk and drive and stuff yeah i'm trying to find the discography i just want to see what's what's uh what's on some of these records i'm looking at 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 11 albums yeah, another Monty Python record has uh, a lot of this stuff is from the show. Con- like Bill said, contractual obligation album is pretty much all new stuff. Um, I did say that. Yeah. Monty Python's previous record. Oh, are you embarrassed easily? That's a good one. That's got that. Okay, that one has the fish license sketch on it, which the first <laughs> time I heard the fish license was through audio. And it includes a song that was not in the show called Eric the Half a Bee, which That's is right. sung by John Cleese, who's not a singer. Ah. And it's one of my favorite songs in the world. <laughs> um, and the, the, the sketch is so much better in audio than on the show. When I watch it on the show, I was actually quite disappointed because the sketch in audio, I think, is so much funnier. 
that's just the the one thing I, I've heard them talk about the albums before and they you know they talk about the difference between doing a sketch on the show and on an album is that when you do it on the show in essence a lot of these you're doing in front of an audience so you just got one take you, you, you just do the sketch but on the on an album you can you can do it you can do various takes and you can find the beats a little bit better as far as when lines should come and all that stuff and I think that's why Eric the Halfaby for or not Eric the Halfaby but the fish license sketch for me I think works better on on audio but it's probably just because I heard it first on audio and listened to it over and over and over before I ever saw it on the show That's exactly right that's so weird I keep I keep noticing I, I keep getting closer and further to the table it's really strange That's a that's a joke for all the people watching this on video by the way Actually it's not much of a joke at all I take it back I take it all back my apologies I think Bill is, I think Frank is trying to trick us. He looks like he's frozen. He's not frozen. I can see oh, him moving. I'm not. I, can oh, see him I can see slight movements in his face. <laughs> I was trying to hide my eyes so you wouldn't be able to see. Your eyes is what, that's what was moving. I can see your eyes kind of darting back and forth a little. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining me on this what will probably end up being two episodes because we went for a, a really, really long time. Um, and, you know, frankly, when I had problems with Skype, this probably will be a good spot to uh, to cut the episodes in half because I think we oh. recorded for a little over an hour and then I had to start over and then which saved, thankfully. But now we've recorded again for about an hour and 20 minutes. So Brilliant. I, full, I fully expect you to leave off in between the first and second episode with a massive, massive cliffhanger. Don't let me down, Steven. Oh, my God. Now I have to work on something. Oh, you have to use the intermission music from uh, oh, of course. Uh, Holy Grail. Of course. I've I've got it. i got it saved. I've got a bank of <laughs> sounds and whatnot that I can use. And that's definitely one of them. I've used it before. In fact, there's a uh, – I don't remember which album it is – but it opens with Terry Jones screaming, not this record, not this record. And he starts screaming. And then there's this record scratch. This goes. And I use that record scratch a lot in, in my shows when I want to quickly transition from something. And uh, I'll be using it at the beginning. You'll, if, if you listen, you'll, you'll hear it at the beginning when, when I, when we, you know, we did that opening where I pretend that we ended the show. It, there'll be a record scratch there. Yes. That's proper. Hey, there's another cat behind Bill. How many cats you got? Just two. Two, yeah. That looks very much like one of our cats. That's Mr. Tumnus, which Mr. dates Tumnus. the day we got him. That's from uh, A Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, correct? Boom. Bang, boom. Yes. All right, Frank, tell us a little about Half Hour Wasted before we close this sucker up. No, no, no. Nobody needs to know about Half Hour Wasted. Currently, we are on hiatus, but we have a wonderful back catalog that you can listen to. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back up and running at any time. But uh, Half Hour Wasted is everyone's favorite pop culture show where we talk about comic books, movies, television, and it's hosted by two terrific guys and Bill. And... And uh, give us a listen because we would appreciate it. We are uh, commercial free because no one will pay to put ads on our show. It's and, funny uh, be- because when Bill, when Brad was going to be on the show with us, and he's not, and uh, trust me, he will pay for that. 
<laughs> I, I had originally planned when I was introducing you guys, when I got to Bill, I was going to say, and last, but certainly not first, Bill McGone. <laughs> Cheers to you. Bill, we love you. We we, uh, we always rib him on the show. Oh, of man. Of course we do. So do you guys remember the very first time? Because I've been on Half Hour Wasted twice now. Mm-hmm. You remember the very first time I was on? Let's see. I believe it was Monty Python related. Yes, it was. Yeah. It, it was. In fact, it was talking about your website. Yeah. And I had to leave in the middle of it because my son, who at the time was maybe five, maybe four. He had a little toy guitar and a string broke and he was having a meltdown. Oh. And now he's 19 and his meltdowns are, are, are much bigger <laughs> and his guitars are real. So. <laughs> Dad! Yep. The, the time does fly. The, uh, the, the young uh, two or three year old who uh, introduces uh, the three of us at the beginning of each episode is now a ninth grader playing football. Yeah, that's crazy. Something like that's, that. I mean, it's just insane. I see pictures of of Brad's daughters sometimes on Instagram, and I'm just like, nah, that that can't be. I mean, I they would every once in a while, you know, like uh, like your kids, Bill would would show up on the podcast every once in a while. More Bill's kids because you guys at one point did a lot of your recordings at your house. Definitely, those the good old days. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's just crazy how time flies. All right, fellas, let me uh, let me wrap up the show. I don't I don't do anything special. I just tell everybody that uh, join me next time uh, for fun stuff and hijinks and whatever the heck I feel like talking about that week. And until then, my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Good job. And and that's how I close the shows. Go shenanigans. Oh, I think uh, Brad's hopping on. No, he's not. Good timing, Brad. Let's see. Is he really? My uh, my oh. dog is actually okay. going uh, <laughs> going a bit bananas right now. Go, go, Here, go. let me see. Uh, Brad, did you get a text from Brad? No, Bill was joking? messing with us. No, I was totally uh, joking. That was one hundred percent joke. Yeah. You You're know, I was, I, I, uh, where, where, this is no longer part of the episode, but I was doing an episode with Harold Jennett a couple of weeks back. I know. And, yeah. uh, Harold used to, whenever he would be on the show, you know, I used to do the whole intro like we, you know, during these live recordings when I had a guest on. And, uh, Harold always liked to interrupt me and when I would do them. <laughs> and so the last time he was on, I was like, I've, I'll be doing the intro separately. And, he, he, he was saying, oh, because uh, you don't want me to interrupt you. And I said, no, actually, it's all Frank Rencon's fault. And I told him about you shaving during the intro. Oh, yeah. That's not, that's not really why I do it. But it's, it's, uh, it's still, I think, one of the best moments. You, you shaving with an electric razor and then Bill <laughs> or Brad trying to one-up you when he was on and trying to shave with an actual razor. And didn't quite work out for him. That that Brad fail is so funny to me because he he admits defeat pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think at one point he goes, "Oh man, this was a bad idea." Yeah. <laughs>
And so then he had to try to get all this shaving cream off yeah. his face. <laughs> <laughs> that was dumb.